0: Hi, this is Big Talk, Michael Glab here. If you tuned in last week on WFHB, 91.3 FM Bloomington, or you listened to our podcast on WFHB.org, you heard part one of our conversation with Kell McBride, the lively death lady who's made a name for herself, among many, many other things, as a certified end-of-life specialist. To find out more about her work, counseling people in making plans for their final exit from this mad, 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 mad world, go to clearlydepart.com. Now, towards the end of last week's edition, we started delving into all the other things Kel McBride has done around these parts to make herself a Bloomington institution. We spoke about her role in helping get the Bleeding Heartland Roller Girls off the ground, and we'll pick up today at the tail end of that exchange. But first, let's listen to a tune that I guess is rather appropriate for someone whose current vocation is helping people get ready for their big departures. This song was written and performed by a band from Los Angeles, formed in 1967, and featuring players from established groups like the James Gang and Canned Heat. It was one of the very few bands at the time that boasted both black and white members, and, as you might suspect, that led to some ugly scenes. For instance, at an April 25th, 1970 show at Raleigh, North Carolina, the band was driven off stage by racist hecklers. As the band tried to get away from the venue, more racists opened fire on their van with guns, hitting the vehicle four times. Fortunately, no one was hit. We'll go right into part two of our chat with Kel McBride, the lively death lady, just as soon as this single plays out. Here, asking that appropriate, if occasionally impertinent, question is Pacific Gas and Electric with Are You Ready?
1: There's rumors a war. Don't you worry A new day is dawning we we'll catch the sun Song. It's better than it I'm
0: You know, it seemed like there was just this tight-knit group of people who were involved here. It was, it was like a club, and it was a club of strong, interesting, dynamic individuals.
2: It, it was, and, you know, I'm super thankful. I met some amazing people I would have never met because of roller derby. Two or three of them are, I would say, part of my core friendship group, and that wouldn't have happened without roller derby. And I think that's amazing. There are definitely people that started back then that are still involved in roller derby in some way, shape, or form. So it's amazing. It truly surprises me how long that project endured. I've started a lot of projects with people and this one lasted longer than any of them.
0: Now long about the time that I first met you and was finding out about roller derby and all here, Then I learned that you had recently, at that time, like I say, about 10 or 11 years ago, at that time had been involved with something called Eroticon. Mm -hmm. Now, what was that?
2: So at the time, I was a sexuality educator, as well as I worked at the Kinsey Institute for a while in their libraries and archives. It was a wonderful place. And during that time, I was trying to figure out how to help people with behavior change. HIV-AIDS was still a huge issue at that time. We didn't have the detailed cocktails of medications that were available. So I was trying to figure out ways to help people adopt both safer sex sorts of um, behaviors as well as getting into relationships and staying in relationships with quality communication and really clear understanding of what people's needs and wants were. I was trying to figure out how to do that. And I found some research that said that the more comfortable someone is with their own sexuality, the more likely they are to communicate with their partners about what they want for pleasure, as well as what they wanted for protection. Uh I started thinking like, how can I make people more comfortable with their own sexuality? I did some, you know, looked around, tried to see what other people were doing and found out about some events in London that were amazing. And basically they were live events that celebrated sexuality. So there wasn't any sex that was happening at these events, but it was like fantasies up on stage as well as people dressing up and having, you know, kind of costume aspects to things. They liked the sexy dancing. Sometimes there were little play spaces that people could act out little things, but nothing, again, illegal or inappropriate to happen in public. So... I know of 12 weddings that have happened from those 10 years, as well as numerous people who tell me that they were much more comfortable asking for condoms and birth control because of their comfort. So, You're saying this thing went on for 10 years? 10 years. We hosted, what was it at the end, 27 events in 10 years.
0: At what kind of places?
2: Um, it was all at a club in Bloomington. Well, and one time we did an event in Indianapolis. But huh. the event... They have, The club was called Mars, it was called Axis, it was called Jake's, it was called the Walnut Street Tap, because it was a 10 year project anybody familiar with that building knows that in the past it had rotated um, names and ownership a little bit there. So yeah, we were, we utilized that space and it was wonderful and perfect for us. We ended up quitting after 10 years because it got too big. Our last event had 1,100 people at the club, a.k.a. breaking every fire code available. (laughs) And, you know, anytime an event gets really, really large, the more challenges and problems that come along with that. And our small crew that was putting that together, we just got a little tired of it. And I have to acknowledge that a lot of the core people involved with Eroticon are the same core people that brought together Bleeding Heartland Roller Derby. And they're the same people that are also working on X-Hunt and a lot of the same people that help with Before I Die Festival. Eroticon was a start for me. And the friendships and connections and skill sets that we all developed in that time have served a lot of us very well in creating new events.
0: Now, you seem to be in tight with a certain generation of people who, went to Indiana University. Did you go to Indiana University? Yeah, I've
2: got my undergraduate and my graduate degree here.
0: And you kept in touch with a great number of people, I guess. Were you then a contemporary of uh, people like Tony Brewer?
2: Uh, Tony Brewer was the DJ at Eroticon every single event. He was our music director. So yeah, I met Tony when we were both, was I still in school? I think I had dropped out at that point in time but yeah he he was living in Collins and I met him through a bunch of my friends that were living in Collins. Yeah I took a couple years off and drove all around the country for a while and then came back but yeah I met a lot of those people in 1989, 1990, 91 that are some of the core people still in my life and a lot of those folks are still the core folks involved in these projects. I feel like when I'm putting something together my goal is to give people the opportunity to do something they already want to do. Now, you seem to me
0: to be a person who does what you want to do. Now, I like that. I find that really alluring as a as a human being. But a, a lot of people in this culture, in this country, don't like that in a woman.
2: I don't know about the woman part of it, but I will say that It is related to death. I find that most people who have had any sort of near-death experience or quick, not quick, but um, strong experience with their mortality, realize that how important it is to live the life that they have fully. And I had one of those connections happen to me in the early 90s that stressed me out and made me wonder if I might die. And I didn't. And when I didn't, I made the commitment that I was gonna live the life I wanted to live. And that's part of the reason I do all this stuff. You know, I want people to have fun, I want people to have joy, I want people to live the life as fully as they can that they get. There's a poem talking about how everyone when they die starts with a birth date, a dash, and a death date. And the goal is to live the dash as fully as possible. So, you know, this event this weekend is about the dash. It's about having a good time, connecting to your community, having fun, being creative, giving back. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that that has been an inspiration, it's, um, as well as making me focus on the core elements of life birth, sex, and death.
0: And let's uh, give some detail about that again. It's the X Hunt, it's Bloomington's quirky scavenger hunt, it's all done online. It's uh, from Friday morning, February 26th, through Sunday, February 28th, at about 10 uh, o'clock p.m. that day. Not Uh, about
2: exactly 10 p.m. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly.
0: Now, if you're interested in uh, finding out about this, go to Facebook and just type in X-Hunt Bloomington up in the little search box, and you'll get right there. There's so much more that you have done. How about this? You are the head crampus wrangler.
2: I am. And you know what? That is also about ethics and morals, too. Everyone seems to think it's just this party where we're trying to scare people and it's just these beasts. But the legend of the Krampus is all about accountability. It's about that there are consequences for bad behavior. So, I mean, especially in the last few years we've been living in, a lot of people haven't had to experience the consequences of their behavior. And I appreciate the legend of the Krampus for that very reason. And for people who aren't familiar with the Krampus, Krampus are the evil side, I don't want to say evil, sort of like the dark sidekick of St. Nicholas. Um, Uh which was our route for Santa Claus. So St. Nicholas keeps a list of who's been naughty or nice in essence. He gives the good kids uh, toys and presents and fruit and candy. And if they're on the naughty list, he sends the Krampus after them. And the Krampus are these tall, hairy beasts with long um, horns and claws that frighten, terrify, and might even carry you away in a sack back to their lair. (laughs) Bloomington Krampus is one of the largest Krampus events in the country. I believe there's only two others that have now just recently got to our numbers. Um, in 2019, which was our last in-person event, there were 5,000-plus people in the crowd watching that event, which is a substantial event for a size our town, a town our size. So
0: You're not kidding. Now, how did you handle it this past Christmas season, December 2020, during this lockdown?
2: You know, we did some new things. We really wanted to avoid the just best of video concept. So we created some new videos with our um, crew at home. We roused the Krampus from their slumber and just made them stay away from everybody. So they, you know, we don't want the Krampus to get COVID. So, and so we created some fun videos for people to engage with. We also put together Krampus experience packages so that people would have things that they could do at home. Now these just weren't t-shirts and things like that. There were um, activity books of ways to make a Krampus cocktail to Krampus cookies. There were, Bells that people could ring that night to say that the Krampus were coming. There were activity books that included drawing and coloring and different activities. But Yeah, it was just a variety of activities. So we wanted to engage people at home and we hosted a live video one night so that people could all kind of be together at a specific time and watch the video. And, yeah, people want to engage with that. It is still all available. If people want to see some of those videos, they're all on YouTube. So if you type in Bloomington Krampus, you can see some of the fun things we did this year, including some Krampus caroling.
0: We've got about seven minutes to go before you've got to get the hell out of here. Okay? Sure, sure. I've
2: got to get my husband to physical therapy because the dog hurt him.
0: <laughs> there you go. Okay. Our guest this week, Kel McBride, the lively death lady, she is, the initials after her name are C-E-O-L-S. That stands for Certified End-of-Life Specialist. Now, looking up this and trying to find out what the heck those kind of people do, I found out that sometimes those people call themselves death doulas, or even, get this one, I like this
2: one, soul midwives. Have you heard those? I have. I have. I um... I am so admiring of people who help people passage out of this life. I find there's a certain kind of person who can hold someone's hand into death. I am not that person. I am really good, I think, at helping people become comfortable with the fact that they're going to die while they're young and healthy.
0: Uh-huh. So I so like
2: working with younger, healthy people to get together a plan.
0: Ah, uh, so that's the distinction. You're, yeah. not, you're not sitting there in a hospice.
2: Yep. I do not help people who are dying. I do not help people who are grieving. I help people who don't think they're going to die anytime soon pull together a plan just in case, you know, so we can watch out for the bus kind of concept.
0: By the way, anybody who's interested in finding out about this specific work that you're doing, go to clearlydepart.com. Again, I'll say that, clearlydepart.com. And you can learn all about Kel there, even more than you're learning here, believe it or not, if that can be. And you'll learn about the work she does. In April 2019, for gosh sakes, you did the Before I Die Festival. As a matter of fact, part of it was even held in the Rose Hill Cemetery. And you had things like the Death Café. Will there there be another one at some time in the future?
2: Oh, I do so hope so. I mean, that's the plan. So in 2016, 2017, I don't know, one of those years, I helped found the Before I Die Festival in Louisville, Kentucky. I was living down in Louisville for a couple years, and I worked with a great team of folks, um, Justin Magnuson, as well as Deb Deb Tuggle. I had a name flip there. Uh And... We created a Before I Die Festival down in Louisville, Kentucky. The Before I Die Festival started in the UK, and then there was one in Indianapolis, which is kind of surprising, put together by the IU Nursing Program. And then we put together two down in Louisville together. And then when I moved up here to Bloomington again, I put one on here, and the Louisville folks are still putting one on down in Louisville, Kentucky. So we did one here locally, which was great. Yeah, we had... um, Uh, Drink to your death, which was a great conversation over some (laughs) tasty beverages. We had um, a a cemetery in the park. We had a tour of some headstones. We had the death cafe, which again is another conversation. There were some lectures on campus around different topics around ethics. Um, There was a wonderful program about death and dying of our pets and how to honor our pets and issues with that. And then, of course, I put together a couple um, programs for people to do some documentation about what they wanted for their own end of life. You also had people write their own obituaries. You know, I'm a big believer that thinking about your obituary is going to help you live a full life. If you go straight down what your life's all been about and you're like, yeah, that's not enough. Why, why am I not quite doing as much as I might want? It's a, it's a good way to kind of spark someone to live a little bit more. At the same time, working on your own obituary gives people a head start for when you die. If you've got that in your death and dying documents, they're like, all right, here, I can get a good go. I don't know if anybody has seen some of those obituaries that people have written down for themselves, but they are stunning. I mean, you can go online and check out, you know, uh, autobiographical uh, obituaries and things like that. One of the reasons I do the obituary class is because so many people write um, what is often considered a traditional obituary that lists all of these intimate details of the person and answers every single security question you could ever want. So, yeah, don't talk about their dog. Don't talk about their high school. Don't talk about their mom's maiden name. Or you just put that person up for identity theft after they died. And it's really common. So I like to teach people how to create an honoring obituary that protects the person's credit lines.
0: Are you a member of the Order of the Good Death? I am. (laughs) Now that's... Now, that's an outfit that was put together by Caitlin Doty, who has made a big splash in the recent few years. Uh, She's the mortician, blogger, author, YouTube personality. She
2: writes in a humorous, she sort of reminds me of you. She's wonderful. I highly recommend people if they haven't seen it's Ask a Mortician on YouTube. And she makes sure that people see death and dying from different perspectives. Everything from considering what is a, are there really Viking funerals? I highly recommend watching the Viking funeral one. Um, She recently posted a video that was pretty traumatic um, talking about the challenges of being a deaf care person in LA right now, while their numbers are spiking from COVID and how there has been a lot of love and support for the first responders, but we've not been giving as much love support and policy and financial help to the last responders.
0: Now she has written three books about uh, the The death industry, basically, we can call it that. Uh, One of which is called, uh, Will the Cat Eat My Eyeballs? And that is Big Questions from Tiny Mortals About Death.
2: Talking to kids about death. It's wonderful. I highly recommend it. I'm actually going to get, I'm getting ready to do a presentation for the Association of Death Educators and Counselors on high school death ed. Um, Both of us really strongly believe that people should be talking about death and dying, right away. You know, it's something that if more comfortable we are talking about it, the more easily we are able to process it when it happens.
0: Wait a minute. I went to high school and I know for a fact that when I was in high school, I knew, I knew I was never gonna die.
2: Of course you did, but yet, hmm, school shootings, HIV AIDS, car wrecks, right? Like if we think about what the reality is for students, they, they could use some help. Um, if sex ed is important to high school students, death ed should be important to them as well.
0: Helmut McBride is the lively death lady, and thanks so much for being on Big Talk.
2: It was a pleasure. Thanks so much, Michael. Are
1: you ready to sit down